Welcome to Lost in the Movies. Today we cover the current events in May 1990, May 23rd, 1990 to be exact, when this episode came up, uh, what was on newsstands, what was on TV at the time, and so forth. The episode aired on Wednesday, May 23rd, 1990 at 9 o'clock p.m., although oddly one of the Usenet posts I shared last week mentioned 10 p.m. as the upcoming schedule. It saw a significant rebound from its recent decline, scoring a 12.6 rating with a 22 share and 18.7 million viewers overall versus 15.6 million the week before, the series' lowest yet. So this was the most viewed Twin Peaks episode since the dream sequence in episode 2, and it almost won its time slot. Wikipedia says it did win it, but TV Tango shows a repeat of Night Court on NBC, just barely edging it out with a 12.7. The biggest hits of the night were on NBC with a new episode of Unsolved Murders, or Unsolved Mysteries, sorry, the hour before Twin Peaks, and a Cheers special, dogging Twin Peaks even on another weeknight, in the hour afterwards. So fortunately this time they didn't have to go up directly against Cheers, but it still was on the same night as them, which is kind of funny even when they moved. Uh, For its finale, Twin Peaks moved from Thursday to Wednesday to take advantage of the imminent end of May sweeps, when the Nielsen ratings record millions of viewing habits through paper diaries. Uh, John Thorne, the huge Twin Peaks fan who later founded the fanzine Wrapped in Plastic, by total coincidence, was a Nielsen viewer that spring, part of the sweeps. So maybe help boost uh, Twin Peaks numbers. One also suspects, though, that Twin Peaks was moved to this night to avoid some of the tougher competition so that it could end the season strong. On this new, if temporary, night, ABC had announced Saturdays as the permanent new home for Twin Peaks in the fall. The network aired an unspecified repeat of Head of the Class as a lead-in, and a Barbara Walter special, whose subject I can't even begin to dig up, unfortunately, as the lead-out. Head of the class followed Charlie Moore, played by Howard Hessman, a history teacher with a small honors classroom in a New York City high school. The series followed the bright and diverse group of students, as well as the teachers. In the fall, Hessman would be replaced by Billy Connolly for the fifth and final season. CBS's counter-programming to Twin Peaks and Night Court and Dear John, the other show that NBC was running that night, was How to Murder a Millionaire. Starring Joan Rivers and Morgan Fairchild, it followed a Beverly Hills woman who flees her home when she realizes her husband might want to kill her. And she befriends a con woman who ventures around L.A. with her. An IMDb reviewer from a dozen years ago remarks, It's a shame this was just a throwaway piece of fluff movie of the week, and won't likely be aired again, as it's really cute. We happened to tape it at the time, and have watched it every once in a while over the years. So, not all the VCRs were uh, programmed that night to find out in vain, as it turns out, who killed Laura Palmer. In movie theaters, the number one film was finally a new release after months of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Pretty Woman trading the top spot between them. Bird on a Wire starred Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn, or as the poster describes them in block letters bigger than the title, Mel and Goldie. A lawyer runs into her ex-fiancé in Detroit, and he turns out to be in the Witness Protection Program. They go on the lamp together and eventually are involved in a massive showdown in which dangerous animals are released inside a zoo to kill each of the villains. The film ends with Mel suspended over a tiger pit, promising Goldie that he'll marry her and father children if she saves him, which she does, and the film ends with him in a Caribbean sunset. From the sounds of it, not quite so clever a transition as the lover's rescue in North by Northwest. On this day in the news, the Bush administration acknowledged that the savings and loan crisis of the late 80s would in fact cost $130 billion rather than the more modest estimates it had pushed earlier to great criticism. Due to immense financial irresponsibility born of the Reagan-era deregulation, 
Savings and loans had attempted to salvage their financial situation in the 80s through dubious investment schemes, often selling their loans to Wall Street banks, which bundled them, similarly to what happened in the housing crisis of 2008. When the institutions began to collapse due to investigations of fraud and racketeering and their own shaky financial foundation, the resultant fallout was one of the costliest in U.S. history, surpassed, of course, in 2008. The scandal was of such immense import that even Twin Peaks is eventually going to touch on it. The Time Magazine cover this week, uh, speaking of financial improprieties in the Bush administration, was John Sununu with the title Bush's Bad Cop. Currently chief of staff, he was embroiled in scandals for his lavish traveling expenses, taxpayer fund private jets trips to, as the Washington Post put it, fat cat Republican fundraisers, ski lodges, golf resorts, and even his dentist in Boston, for which it paid a measly $892 of over half a million dollars of expenses. The butt of many op-eds and late-night skits, he would eventually be forced to resign in 1991, months after one of his most egregious scandals, in which he complained of financial difficulties shortly before taking a government limousine from Washington to New York to spend $5,000 on rare stamps and then send the limo back while he returned on a corporate jack. A popular, if possibly apocryphal, anecdote holds that Sununu asked Barbara Bush why people take an instant disliking to him, and she responded, Because, John, it saves time. He was forced to pay back his many expenses, but he did so at a high discount and with the assistance of Republican donors. However, the Time article appears to focus more on Sununu's policy agenda, with the subtitle, From Taxes to Clean Air, John Sununu is the Power to Reckon With. He managed to anger both the right by encouraging Bush to go back on his no-new-taxes pledge and appoint Liberal Justice David Souter, and the left by politicizing what had been a far more bipartisan approach to climate change. And he is often cited today as one of the foremost figures in arresting progress toward addressing global warming and thus worsening the global crisis we currently face. His environmental legacy was something I was familiar with even as a child because Sununu was governor of New Hampshire when I was born, his son is the current governor right now, and a major advocate of the Seabrook nuclear power plant, an extremely controversial subject in New England in the 80s and early 90s. And to tie it back into Twin Peaks, I think you can already see a little bit of an ecological theme sort of sneaking into the show with the save, say no to Ghostwood signs that were posted up in the diner a few episodes ago and Ben and his sort of skeezy development. So this was very much in the air, this idea of these like corrupt businessmen and they're sort of ravaging the environment and stuff. And you know, already kind of a subtext of Twin Peaks as well. So this gives you a little sense of what was going on at the time that might have played into that. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also become a patron on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies, and you can listen to all of the upcoming uh, Lost in Twin Peaks episodes ahead of time on there because they're all already out for patrons uh, in larger format. They're not split into smaller parts. You can hear all the other news. I dig into a lot of other events of 1990 to 91 uh, to eventually 92. The one thing that I don't have on there for patrons that will be unveiled um, probably first for the public or maybe like right before for patrons in, in a different format is the season three stuff, the 2017 news stories. Um, because when I covered those episodes, it was right after they aired and I wasn't really looking at the historical context of a year ago, but now those are five years ago. So, so that part is not available to patrons um, the what you listen to today as far as season three goes, but it is there for seasons two and Firewalk With Me. And of course, all the other stuff is there. So check it out. Coming up next, White House Chief of Staff John Sununu addresses the 1990 Issues Symposium sponsored by Congressman Silvio Conti. Sununu made these remarks on Wednesday and he touched on the Clean Air Bill, the deficit, and the Bush administration's foreign policy. 
Thank you very much. One of the reasons I come here is just to listen to that nice introduction. <laughs> just to balance out some of the rest. I am pleased to be here. Syl was kind enough to uh, suggest that I'm sought after. The only thing that went through my mind when he said that is I remembered that John Dillinger was also sought after. 